Welcome back to another episode of Goalie Field. I am one of your hosts, Will Mucky, and of course with me today is Connor Hardy. Welcome, Connor. Hello, hello. All right, let's get into it because this was, I mean, if we thought last weekend was weird, if we thought two weekends ago was weird... This was a weird week. <laughs> uh, we'll get it started with your Spurs. Um, now, we aren't covering everything with you here today because I will also be having Cole, my brother, on the podcast tomorrow. We'll be combining the two the two discussions into one podcast episode uh, for, you, for the sake of the listeners. Um, <laughs> but for right now, we're going to avoid as much as we can discussing the Manchester United side of things, but I obviously we do need to talk about what was, uh, I mean, four, four weeks into the season, are we? Mm-hmm. And Spurs have had two games of just blowing teams out of the water. They, they sure have. I mean, our two away games are five goals against Southampton and then, of course, six goals here against United. Um, I mean, honestly, kind of... It would pretty much was the perfect game. Um, they've always had trouble uh, playing at Old Trafford. Um, I mean, it, it really started in the worst possible way. Literally 32 seconds in, Devinson Sanchez gives away a clear penalty, um, which Bruno, of course, takes and um, and scores. And, and, and like at that point, it's it's kind of like, do I just turn this off and like pretend that it isn't happening right now? And um, but just such a quick turnaround, fourth goal or fourth minute goal in Dombele, then Son, and then of course the incident with Anthony Martial, which Lamella he uh, extends his arm, tries to push him off, um, gets his chest, and then kind of rides up into the bottom of his face. Martial takes exception to that, and you know just kind of just kind of like open hand slaps him across the across the mm-hmm. face, which um, you just can't do. So he gets sent off. I don't disagree. I think it is a red card. Um, I mean, Lamella, of course, makes a meal out of it. Um, absolutely. He probably should have gotten a yellow himself there, but um, I don't think that was send-off worthy for him. Um, yeah, and and Solskjaer made a comment about that in, in post-game interviews where he says, you know, who knows if, if Martial exaggerates the initial contact, it could have gone the other way. Now, I don't, I don't know that Lamella gets a red, but he at least gets a caution. Martial probably makes it out of that situation okay, and, and who knows if we're talking about a 6-1 win. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then after that, playing against 10 men, of course, the game is just pretty much gone. Kane scores two goals. Son scored another goal, and then Aurier uh, gets on the score sheet as well. I mean, it really just was the the epitome of what you could want from a trip like that. Um, they've really been been gaining a lot of momentum they've played well lately um i mean they drew against newcastle last weekend of course last minute penalty as we discussed last week um 
But then to move on to beat Chelsea in penalties in the Carabao Cup, to beat Maccabi Haifa uh, in the Europa League 7-2, to um, and then come into this game and win 6-1. I mean, that's four games in, I think it was eight days, seven days, something like that. Um, so just, just a ridiculous amount of, of playing time. I mean, the Celso and Bergvine missed out today. Uh, or sorry, uh, yesterday. Um, so just kind of, they had all of the excuses there ready, like in case, you know, it didn't end up like this. But um, I, I just thought it was a great attacking performance. Um, you know, a lot of uh, Mourinho's time at United was scarred by, you know, he's not an attacking manager, he's a defensive manager, there's no attacking. And so made a couple kind of snide tongue-in-cheek remarks. Um, yeah, you know, like what would have happened if Spurs had an attacking manager? It would have been ten or something like that. So, um, I, classic, I just, classic Jose. Right. I just, I think it was perfect. The build up to the game, you know, will Sun play? Will he not? He gets two goals. I mean, he looks perfectly healthy. Um, Aurier and no, neither of us started him in fantasy. No, we did not. It looked yeah. like he wasn't going to play because they played at Koi the whole way up. So that's pain, right. but. That was brutal. Such but, as it is, yeah, such as fantasy. But Regulon and uh, Aurier look like a really good kind of pair coming up. Um, I was kind of worried about, you know, Aurier in this sort of game giving away something, but um, I think the two of them are very similar, you know, going back and forth. And so I think that's probably going to be a frequent pair in the starting lineup. Um, and with the amount of games that we have, Doherty and um, Davis will still get plenty of playing time. Um but yeah, I mean, it, it's just that's that's what you want. I mean, going into the international break, um, two weeks until the next game, plenty of time off. But but I mean, that's the game that that you know really cements, especially against a, a rival for a top four spot or whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I I just thought it was the perfect game, and. Like, like you said, we won't get too much into Manchester United because, um, you know, that will be taken up from Cole. Um, but I will say that, I mean, I expected this to be, you know, hotly contested. This is the game, you know, a possible important three points coming down to the end of the season where it's like, well, you know, we're on 71, they're on something. But, um, I mean, it just didn't look like that. It looked like a practice game for, for a majority of that. And so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like you said, we won't get we won't get into the United side of things. I did want to talk about you know, just two weeks ago, I I told you that my eyes had been open to Kane's passing, when he picked up that set piece and mm-hmm. played it just immediately up the line to Son. I it's just that's the kind of craftiness and sort of just like, you know, flying by wire play that I really love to see out of Spurs when they're freewheeling and I think is when they're best taking advantage of their talent. Yeah. I I yeah, I mean this was a this was a well-deserved Spurs win perhaps not by that margin but that's how the games break, you know. Most most 6-1 or 7-2 games as we're about to get to aren't <laughs> normally, you know, deserved by such a margin, but they are deserved. Um, yeah. so bump that goal differential up. You're going to need it if you're going to chase uh table leaders Everton <laughs> this right. season. Right. Uh, we will we will, I think, get a move on here to the other unexpected drubbing of the day, which was Liverpool's 7-2 loss to Aston Villa. <laughs> I don't think anybody would have bet on this one. 
No. And it even was even with Allison out, even with even with Tiago out, even with Mane out. How how, <laughs> how depressing. Um especially because there was a fair bit of luck involved on a few of Aston Villa's goals. Um my by my count four took deflections before entering the net. Um now some of those shots were already on target, but some of those were on target in a way that Adrian was lining up to save them. They took a deflection and went the total opposite way. So certainly a fair bit of luck involved in I would say the last four goals. Um but great day for Ollie Watkins who got a hat trick in what I believe were his first three like actual league goals. Yeah, correct. That's insane. Yeah, against the defending champions, you get a hat trick against, I mean, playing off errors from what was regarded as the best center back in the world. Yeah, Aston Villa just took it to him. They played without fear. Uh, I think in many ways this was a Dean Smith masterclass. He, he mm-hmm. His players pressed intensely. John McGinn had probably the pass of the weekend with yeah. his just line drive cutting through two levels levels of Liverpool defense uh, to find Jack Grealish for, I believe that was Grealish's first goal. Um, yeah. But wow. It, I it, mean, do you have anything to add to that? It's just like, um, it was, it was really remarkable because uh, like you had mentioned, we knew that Allison was going to be out. He got hurt in training. And then of course, Mane and Tiago being out with, with coronavirus. Um, and so, so you know you're, you're you know they're missing pieces, but um, you know Tiago. I'm not going to say that they didn't miss him, but I'm I'm just trying to take uh, and like copy and paste what we saw from Liverpool last year onto this and see where it went wrong. Because my brother actually sent me you know a clip from our show last week talking about how oh boy. Manchester City lost five two to Leicester, and I said these are the type of games that Liverpool just don't have. And I mean, yes. <laughs> they they had an even worse one, an even worse performance. And it's just that's what I should I suppose I should rephrase that then and say that's what they did not have last year. Like everyone will note, of course, they got thrashed by now championship level Watford. And so I yes, mean, yeah. it, it, it's not to say that like an unexpected victory is never possible, but this was by far the worst this defense has, has looked. They've conceded 11 goals in four games. They have Which a... is on level with Fulham. Yes. Fulham has conceded 11 goals. Yes. They have a net zero goal difference. And it's just, <laughs> I mean, these are remarkable. Because again, going back to what I was saying about Thiago, Thiago, Thiago's new. So they didn't have him last year. So you take him out, sure. Like that's kind of what it was last year. And so... Apart from that, you're missing Mane and you're missing Allison. Allison, of course, is a huge miss. Adrian was at fault for the first one and gets really unlucky to concede a total of seven, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Mane, I mean, we're, we're seeing just how important Mane is to this team because he is everything going forward. Firmino honestly looks lost so far this season. He doesn't look like he can find the net. Salah scored twice, um, but is only only can do so much on his own. And so... I mean, this is this is honestly shocking. It is honestly shocking because you, you can say what you will about luck, but, I mean, Aston Villa created that luck. They deserved that luck. I mean, they were they were by far the better team 
for the entire game. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, Liverpool's Liverpool conceding seven goals in that game dropped them two spots on the table despite, like, being level on points with the two teams ahead of them. <laughs> right. Like, you want to know how important that goal differential hit is. Right. We, look at last season. Look at how last season ended with Europa League and and Champions League. You know, it's like these things come down to the wire. Mm-hmm. And by, you know, by digging yourself a hole early, you don't want to be – they have they have the worst goal differential in the top in the top 10. Yeah. West Ham is plus four. Newcastle, Leeds are both plus one. Tottenham now plus seven, as uh, as is Everton. <laughs> Aston Villa actually has the best goal differential in the entire table at plus nine, um, which still, it blows my mind that Aston Villa and Everton are the only two teams yet to drop points this year. Right. Exactly. And I, I want to touch on Aston Villa. I, I, I really do think that this was just as much them beating Liverpool as it was Liverpool you know, kind of yes. fumbling. But just one question for you on Liverpool before we move on. Where, I mean, where, where do they go from here? Like, do you chalk this up as, you know what, like, Thiago out, Mane out, like, Allison out, we just weren't at our best. Um, I mean, the transfer window, we are recording this Monday night, is now closed. So, yeah. um, like, they're, they're not bringing anyone else in. I mean, what do you do to kind of shake this off? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think we can look at the start of last year when Allison was hurt um, and, and how Adrian, Adrian or however you want to say it, he was poor. I mean, he was, he was really quite bad. Mm-hmm. Um, they, weren't, they weren't getting thrashed like this, and it wasn't just on Adrian. But, yeah. like, they did rebound from it without needing to really add any talent. I mean, they added, what, Minamino at January, and yeah. that was it. Um, so I'm not super worried about them long term but yeah i mean this is this is definitely this is a this is a game where you go to the drawing board and say okay either we just got solved or we had an (laughs) off night and you hope it's not the former if you're liverpool but even if it isn't the former you have to figure out okay how did they exploit us okay they played these you know picture perfect long balls they pressed into space. They pressed hard. They weren't, you know, they weren't afraid to sort of get into people and play with physicality. And they capitalized on their set pieces. I mean, Aston Villa didn't dominate possession. They just forced Liverpool into some really uncharacteristic mistakes. Mm-hmm. And that's how, you know, that's how these teams with a great deal of less expensive talent have to win these games. You have to, you have to be extremely clinical and a little bit lucky in your chances. Check. You have to put yourself in opportunities to take advantage of mistakes. Check. You know, it was it was the exact same thing that Leeds did against Liverpool at the start of the year. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I'm not quite sure. I mean, nobody is suggesting that Liverpool need to hit a panic button. Mm-hmm. But you, you could make an argument that they've not necessarily looked as shut down in defense as they have in years past. Right. And that's like... I would say they looked the opposite of shutdown, um, and I and it's interesting because of course they played four league games now. They've beaten Chelsea and they've beaten Arsenal, and they've lost, or sorry, and Leeds. But 
not that I'm counting that as a loss, but Leeds played them so very well. And then, of course, getting drubbed by Aston Villa. So a, a lot of what would plague Liverpool in the past was getting up for the big games and then just failing against those lower-level teams. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see see that kind of pop up again. Um, but I just want to make sure, full credit to Aston Villa. I mean, that's the first time that the defending champions have ever conceded seven goals. Um and they're they're three for three, like you mentioned. They have not dropped any points. Jack Grealish looks great. I mean, Ollie Watkins, they spent a lot of money on him from Brentford. It was very interesting, but mm-hmm. uh, he's got his first three goals. He's off the mark. I mean, I don't think anyone's suggesting that Aston Villa are going to be in the top four, but I mean what has changed? Because again, like I, I don't want to drive this home because I know that there's some sour sour taste in your mouth there, but they survived on the final day last year, and now they're yeah. they're three from three, plus nine goal difference, like you mentioned. I mean, what's changed? <laughs> I Yeah, frankly, I have no clue. I mean, we talked a little bit at the start of the year about just how fundamental McGinn's presence, McGinniesta, as he's referred to sometimes, <laughs> is in that squad in terms of having a guy who can set up a lot of players who need to be set up on that team. They don't have a ton of, you know, incisive creators like Grealish who can carry the ball forward all on their own. They need to be supplied by someone in the center. And and McGinn is that guy for them. And he was certainly on the form, you know, this weekend. And they are going to need more from him going forward. We talked a little bit about how the the defense has just been way more impressive than I think either of us anticipated. And you were a little bit more optimistic on Aston Villa than I. Yeah. Um, but for them to be this good is it's weird. I I keep thinking that eventually they're gonna they're gonna snap back to the Aston Villa that we saw last year, and I still believe that because we are still so early into the season. But yeah, this is inspiring to say the least. It, it sure is, and um, definitely a performance that deserves all the merits that they're getting. Um, moving along, sticking in the top half of the table, um, Chelsea finally came out and, you know, dominated a Premier League game. They won 4 nothing, 4-0 against Crystal Palace. Um, it's, it, it's a lot, it's really early on to have must-win games, but based on the week that they had, you know, Kind of having that roller coaster of a game against West Brom and then losing to Spurs uh, in penalties in the Carabao Cup. I think they needed to have this kind of performance, and they did. 4 0. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the scoring, one of their, you know, one of their new additions did score uh, his first Premier League goal for Chelsea. It was not Kai Havertz, <laughs> it was not Timo Werner. That's right. It was Ben Chilwell <laughs> who actually broke the deadlock uh, in this game against Crystal Palace. And I just didn't think from then on that Crystal Palace were really set up to play um, mm-hmm. from behind. The, I, and I really don't think that they ever have been in the past few years a team that's set up to play from behind under Roy Hodgson. This is this is a team that makes, that makes you want to play to 0-0 and... If you overextend yourself, they'll try to pounce and maybe make it 1-0, but they aren't going to have a lot of high-scoring games, and they certainly aren't going to have too many come-from-behind games. They just I don't think they have yeah. the personnel for that. So Chilwell opened up the game, 
because suddenly Crystal Palace had to take risks and they couldn't just sit in their block and let Chelsea come at them. Um, it did take until the 50th minute for them for them to look good. So I don't know that Chelsea really had a good game so much as they capitalized on a desperate Crystal Palace side in the second half. Uh, but Kurt Zuma, sure, you know, get a goal, I guess. Um, ben Chilwell assists, assisted on that as well. And then Jorginho, two penalties for window dressing, and away you go. Yeah, it was... Uh, I, I, th- I think I'd agree with your assessment overall. I definitely, um, you know, 4-0 probably a little bit, like you said, window dressing as to what, what it was. But um, I think what Chelsea really needed was, A, to, cl- to keep a clean sheet, um, which they did. That was, that was a big step one. Um, and then to just, you know, be able to flow forward. And like, like you mentioned, I mean, you got two defenders scoring goals and then two Jorginho penalties. So... Um, it wasn't the, you know, pulsating attack that I think the Chelsea fans have been salivating for since they've started announcing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the new signings. But um, it was, you know, a very much enough. And Christian Pulisic, back from injury, he did not start, but came on in the 83rd minute just to start to get his legs under him. So um, that was definitely good to see. Uh, hoping he can be back to full fitness soon because he can definitely add a lot to the side and um, continue to uh, hopefully develop under Frank Lampard. Um, so that was that was definitely good to see. But overall, I'd say, yeah, Crystal Palace, they won their first two. They were six for six, but um, have stuttered here the last two weeks uh, uh, against Everton and, and Chelsea. Um, but speaking of stuttering, I mean... We'll move on to Leicester and West Ham, a game that, uh, you know, everyone was pretty much saying was going to be pretty one-sided. Leicester came in, they were three for three. um, And, I mean, they just got absolutely rocked by West Ham United. 3-0 goal from Antonio, who always seems to get his goal, uh, Pablo Fornals, which was a little bit surprising. And he played very well. He sure did. Fornals did all day. He sure did. And then capped off by Bowen in the 83rd minute, who's had um, quite a couple weeks uh, under him. Yeah, no kidding. Um, Bowen now sitting on three goals uh, early in this West Ham campaign. Good for him um, because he didn't really do anything of note last year when he was brought in at, at January. And it seems like he's found his footing a fair bit. That could be big for West Ham. That, that this was a side that I was really not enthusiastic about. But if you've got guys who can contribute um, beyond the odd Antonio goal, you know, having a mm-hmm. having someone like Jared Bowen to uh, to create some some action in the final third is going to be really important for them because I don't think they're very inspiring in the midfield. They've just parted ways with Jack Wilshere, another flop signing to yeah. add to their collection. But yeah, it. I did not really watch this game. I, I caught the goals. This is, I mean, it feels like just last week we were talking about how Wolves could, how Wolves couldn't win against West Ham, and oh, you know, this is more on Wolves losing the game than West Ham winning it. And now West Ham has consecutive multi-goal shutouts of these sort of Europa League tier teams. Right. Which is really, I mean, to string those back to back for a club with West Ham's inconsistency, you know, history. 
It's really kind of wild. Certainly. I mean, they had 14 shots to four in favor of West Ham, 16 chances created to two. I mean, they were, that was my first thought is that, you know, this game was on 6 a.m. on Sunday morning. I did not watch it, but watching the highlights, you know, Mm -hmm. I kind of expected it to be pretty, you know, maybe Fabianski had a great game or something like that to really deny Leicester and West Ham countered, but they dominated this game. They had 30% of the possession but still managed all these chances. Um, And like you were saying, I mean, we were really down on West Ham. I think it should be noted that that's for good reason. They had played so poorly at the end of last year and started the season really poorly. But, I mean, ever since David Moyes got coronavirus, (laughs) Alan Irvine has come in as their, you know, kind of stand-in manager, and he's overseen (laughs) an aggregate 7-0 beating of... You know, like you said, two Europa League quality teams in Leicester and Wolves. And so, um, you know, I <laughs> I'm not gonna not gonna speculate here, but um that's that's a huge, huge boost. Um but I will say on Leicester's side, I mean that's it's a pretty pathetic day and more will be told to see if it was just an off day or Uh, what but just the lack of creativity in that midfield really showed um and i and i will say that i'm leaning towards that being an off day i know that especially because they're coming off a a win against city that everybody ripped city for and praised lester for right and scoring five goals again albeit three of them from the penalty spot um against city was huge and so you can say what you will you know hangover game anything like that um just no matter what an awful performance um, and again, West Ham fully deserving of three points. They're at 10th right now. So um, the demise of West Ham United could have been greatly exaggerated. Yeah. Um, moving, you know, continuing to move. As we alluded to earlier, Everton, top of the table. I, when, does, when does the glorious ride end for Dominic Calvert-Lewin? I don't know. He has six goals in this early season. Uh, he had 13 goals, I believe, in the Premier League last year. Yeah. So he is basically halfway to his goal total four weeks in, which is incredible. Um, I, is it is it too early to start bragging about we were actually right about this team? <laughs> um, it's certainly getting there, let me tell you. I, I mean, we, we, we've touched on it already in the first couple episodes so far this season but it just bear it's it's worth repeating how well Hamas and Abdullah Decore um and Allen didn't play on um right yeah this weekend but just it bears repeating how well they've just kind of fit into the system and how well they've played and I I, th- I think we were right. I think I think we were even a little wrong. Like we were right. We might have I, undersold I, them. Right. I think they. I think we could have gone higher on them. Um, they have just played so very well, um, and you know, their defense has not been the best. And well, no, not even defense. It's Jordan Pickford. I mean, at some point, yeah. At some point, we've got to get together and we've got to really ask how is Jordan Pickford still a starting goalkeeper in the Premier League? Because, I mean, everyone 
rightfully so, kind of piled on Kepa because Kepa had the worst save percentage. Um, he just was not making saves. But Jordan Pickford is not far behind him in a lot of those stats. And we saw another one on Saturday where it's up in the air. It was raining, sure, but this he's, he's done this when it wasn't raining. He comes up, drops the ball, and Mope ends up getting a goal out of it. I mean, this Everton side is so strong that they're going to put themselves in positions to strive for, you know, top four, maybe something like that, where that mistake can really come back to hurt you. Um, and so I would not be surprised to see Everton upgrading that position very soon, maybe in January even. It's it's wild how sharp Pickford's drop off has been in two years. Yep. Um, it's I mean it's even wilder than like De Gea's drop off to me, where Pickford basically rose for six months. It was like this guy can do no wrong. He's keeping Everton afloat. He keeps them alive in close games. To this guy is like maybe single handedly responsible for every bad thing that's happened to Everton this year. Um, it's. Oh, I continue to say it. We continue to say it week after week. I am just shocked at how well these signings have gelled. Mm-hmm. And the chemistry with, with Decore and... I mean, they got they got an assist from Gilfie Sigurdsson. They got an assist from Alex Iwobi. They got good games out of guys that have sort of been like laughing stocks for the past year. Yeah. And that's, that's a great sign for this team because you're not going to... We saw you're not going to have Allen every night of the week. You're not, you know, there's going to be games without James, and we'll have to see how they handle that. There's going to be games, presumably, without Dominic Calvert Lewin, and we'll have to see how they handle that. Yeah. This, if this depth is for real, and they can get contributions from these guys who have been, I think, largely discarded by the public, this is, I don't even want to say it, but this is a team that could finish higher than five. Yeah. And I'll leave it at that. Yeah. I guess. Because I don't want to. The goalie field curse is well documented at this point. Right. Uh, and I, I don't want to doom them to that. Right. Yeah. That's. I, I, I think I see where you're going with that. And I think that's a very fair um, estimation. I will note that it's, you know, kind of. We're getting to deadline day, um, but just two Everton things of note that Moist Keen uh, was sent out on loan to PSG, um, but they did bring in Ben Godfrey. Uh, from Norwich, mm-hmm. uh, center back for about 25 million euros. So um, some interesting deals there, there, strengthening up the defense, which we had mentioned actually last week um, mm-hmm. that they should be probably looking towards. So good move there. Um, solid game all around from Everton. Brighton, for the first time this season, just didn't look good. Um, in some of their losses, they've looked good. This was They were just pretty thoroughly outplayed um, by Everton. I know another team that's kind of been coming up is Leeds and we we talk about them every week we we do and they keep giving us reasons to talk about them I mean uh-huh. I know a lot of us were thinking Man City they got humiliated last weekend that they were just going to come out and play like you know they were just going to beat the living daylights out of Leeds but um one-one draw. Sterling scored in the 17th minute, but Rodrigo got his first goal. Um, and a little bit of a keeper error there as well by Ederson. Um, mm-hmm. And finished one-one. I mean, Leeds are you. Leeds are must-watch television. That was one of the most entertaining games I think I've watched in a long time. 
and Sterling did get hurt. Um, but this leads to, they're going to go toe to toe with anybody. And Bielsa is going to go managerially brain to brain with anybody. And he will probably win a fair number of those games. Right. He's going to have a brain knockout. A brain blast. Brain blast. I hope that's not copyrighted. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this you gotta admire it. You know, people people questioned whether they would play true to their spirit or whether they'd play the same conservative, scared football that a lot of teams that get promoted play. And we got the answer. Yeah. This is this is a team that's not going to back down from anybody, and I think that's awesome. Um, worth mentioning that after last week when we said. I was just Patrick say Bam- <laughs> when we said Patrick Bamford was good and Rodrigo was bad that Patrick Bamford finally did not score and Rodrigo did score <laughs> so we are on a roll for uh, controlling the outcome of games by making hasty assumptions about players and teams right. um, I don't I didn't really have a whole lot to say about Leeds. I know we have Newcastle on here I kind of just want to skip over them they're fine you know they're top half uh, Sam Maximin and and Callum Wilson are very good. They They're are good for this team. Um, they truly are. And I'm content to honestly leave it at that. I don't know if you have anything to add to that. No, I was just going to say on Manchester City, just to note, this was the debut, of course, for Ruben Diaz, who they kind of yes. panic bought. Maybe not panic bought. I know they were looking at him through the window, but after conceding five against Leicester, I think it was like, yeah, we need to get him in. And he had a relatively good game. Kind of unlucky he was involved in the goal because that was who Ederson kind of knocked the ball off of. Um, but just, a, yeah, a pretty pretty disappointing outcome if you're a Man City fan. Um, we'll move on to, we'll continue disappointment and move on to Fulham, who were uh, away at Wolves. Um, yeah. Yeah, and this is a game that I, I did want to talk about because this was probably Fulham's best game of the year. They still lost. They still didn't score a goal. Um, but they looked competent, and I don't think that's something that we've been able to say for them outside of brief moments in their game against Leeds where obviously like they did score, they they put up three goals, and it was a one-score you know a one score loss. But this was, to me, their most complete game. They actually defended. Um, Anthony Robinson starts, plays really well, both getting forward and, and putting in a few significant moments in the back. I was I was just impressed, most of all, by Alphonse Areola, who came on in, in place of Rodak. Rodak has certainly had a, a very rough stretch of games. Yeah. And, and had some, I mean, worldy saves against against a pretty potent Wolves side. Um, this is what you need to see. You just need to see it consistently. And and who knows, you know, this. hopefully this isn't a one-off because Fulham really, really need points. And, I mean, I'm looking at it now, and I, I honestly kind of can't believe that we have three teams with zero points right now. <laughs> right. But that's just the way it is. Um, and... I'm hoping that the new signings that we're about to get to after Fulham, um, I hope they help out. I'm, I'm kind of optimistic that at least they can pull themselves themselves out of like what is clearly 20th place in the league right now yeah. into sort of a respectable spot. Uh, but that, that remains to be seen. Uh, Adamola Lookman from Everton, uh, who, who plays for Fulham right now, 
had a really good game once he was subbed on. Uh, just brought a ton of energy. I think he's a guy who should be seeing more minutes. Uh, very potent winger. Um, and sort of adds an element of, of verticality and, and real pace and space that they can they can benefit from because they're not really getting it from anyone else unless they're getting it from their wing backs and and that obviously hasn't worked up to this point so Certainly. i would like to see more from him in in terms of just minutes i think omitting him is probably going to be a bad call if they want to keep any of the positives from this game consistent through weeks to come yeah and i think that that's i i echo a lot of that i think that um you know, they really just got to, they have to have that finishing touch. Um, you, you mentioned it with the goals. They've only scored three goals. You know, it's just Abubakar Kamara had a couple chances that just, you know, they needed a better, oh, they needed a better touch. Total dud finisher yeah. where he was in alone on goal and just blasted it directly at the keeper. Right. You got to be better. You know, Mitro would have probably put that one away. Right. Um, and that's the but problem. Mitra didn't really play particularly well either. Yeah, and that's that's just the overlapping problem that that's that's where the finishing comes, and you can't really squander opportunities like that when you're in a position a position like they are. Um, I think that's pretty much it. Stop me if I'm wrong. From the weekend. No, the... you're good. Let's roll through deadline day stuff because uh, I don't want to spend too much time here. If we're adding, you know, Cole's segment on tomorrow, who knows how long that'll be? I know he said. When I texted him, he said, I have a lot to say about United. <laughs> so that could mean he has 10 minutes of content. That could mean, he, you know, I split this into two episodes because it just doesn't make sense. Right. Um, we'll get rolling here. I think we're probably in agreement with one another that the biggest signing is Thomas Partey to Arsenal um, and Luca Torreira to Atletico Madrid in what was basically a swap deal, but Arsenal pay, paid the release clause. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not sure they really needed to send Torreira, but Torreira wasn't getting played anyway. He wanted a, a fresh start, and Arteta was happy to oblige. Yep. This is a... I mean, this is by far the most impactful. Shores up the defense, um, gives them a real sort of defensive midfielder presence that they didn't have before. Uh, doesn't put David Luiz on as much of an island, which is always good. Right, right. and I, I think it kind of came out of nowhere. Like, we heard about the RR deal being done at the end of last week, mm-hmm. um, and it really didn't look like party was going to be going anywhere, but then, you know, all of a sudden, around noon or a little afternoon today, it was announced that he was on the plane heading for London, and so um, definitely, definitely a good deal for Arsenal. Um they, they need that player. Torreira was who they hoped that player would be. Uh, he hasn't panned out. Ganduzi has not gotten along with Arteta. He actually went out on loan to Hertha um, today as well. And so I, I'm i not excited from a Spurs point of view, but I think that from a neutral point of view, that will be a great player to just have in the Premier League. Um, so mm-hmm. definite, definitely, definitely fills a need for sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm... I'm in total agreement with you there. He's not AOR, but he's a good signing nonetheless and one that they'll definitely get a lot of use out of. I don't think it takes it it doesn't take much, you know, advanced thinking to see how he helps this team. Uh moving forward, we can keep it with uh with midfielders for a bit with Ruben Loftus cheek onto Fulham. Uh that is a loan, it's not a permanent deal. 
this is what we were talking about when we were talking about Fulham signings. This is by far the one I'm most excited about. They absolutely need guys in the midfield who, who will carry the ball forward. I think RLC is probably sort of an attacking midfielder, and that's a position that they don't really have convincing answers in right now. Yeah. Um, as somebody who can bridge the play from, you know, they're very good at keeping midfield possession. They're very bad at, you know, producing at the final third, which we've talked about ad nauseum up to this point. I think he's a really good guy to try and bridge those two very isolated parts of the field for them. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how well he fits because obviously he's had both fitness troubles and just straight up form troubles at Chelsea in, in the years he's 24. We've been talking about him as this youth product for forever, right. but he's sort of aged out of that phase by now. He's becoming the new Jesse uh, Lingard. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Not quite, not quite the 27, 28 year old Lingard, but certainly yeah, walking those lines. Um, other signings for Fulham, Tosin, Adarabayoyo. Um, I think I said that right. I, I wanted to rush through it, and then I slowed down at the end, so it sounds like I got it wrong. <laughs> uh, two, million, two million euro signing from Man City. You know, young young player who shores up the defense a little bit. Uh, and is it is it Joachim, like Joachim Noah Anderson, or is it Joachim, like Joaquin Phoenix? <laughs> I think it's the former. <laughs> If it is Joachim Anderson, that's that's a wild juxtaposition yeah, really of two is. names. Yeah. Um, but another defensive signing from Lyon, uh, I, that I don't believe is permanent. I think that is a loan. Um, notably, they had a player from PSV whose name I'm not going to bother with. Another center back medical went through, uh, and I, the papers, I believe, were due to be signed. And for whatever reason, I don't know that we know exactly why things broke down he went back to psv that's the end of that so they could have had three three defenders in this you know in the last day of the window i think they'll be happy with two and loftus cheek uh hopefully this helps them get any sort of point total on the board right and i think that it was you know maybe not the perfect ideal window if you're a fulham fan um but certainly from, you know, having Tony Khan, we talked about it last time out, make a statement like that, apologizing after the defeat to Aston Villa and, and kind of promising this sort of business. Um, they really left it pretty late there, for a while there. I was wondering if that was actually going to, I mean, any of these days, any of these deals were going to go through, um, but all three were announced today. And so, you know, good on Fulham for doing that business. Good on Tony Khan for keeping his word and making sure that, they did bring in some players because, I mean, as we've touched on, they, they need them. And so um, I'd say that that overall pretty good business, um, really hoping for RLC to, you know, progress at Fulham. It's kind of a shame to see someone reach that or with such a high ceiling kind of level out like this. So hopefully this is good for him. Um, and hopefully, yeah, Fulham can, can shore up that defense. Yeah. Uh, probably for them, they have the most riding on this on this window more so than anyone, just based on what we've just talked about. Right. The total dire state of the club right now. Um, I believe I'm saying this right, Rafinha, not the Barcelona one who departed for PSG today, uh, but from Rennes, has gone to Leeds. He's a winger, 
will provide a little bit of uh, competition for why is my Helder Costa? My brain them, yeah. Helder Costa, thank you. I almost said Douglas Costa because I'm thinking about how he transferred. Um, right. Um, but no. No, yeah, that should be a good signing. Uh, Ren were a very good team um, last year, and so we'll see how he can transition to life in the Premier League. Um, and then, of course, from Leeds United to Manchester United, they were in um, a lot of the news. It will be interesting to see what, what your brother has uh, to say about their deals but um, bringing in Cavani uh, 33 years old the Uruguayan I mean he can score goals pretty much wherever he is but um, that will be very interesting to see how that plays out they short up the defense yeah. with uh, Alex Tellis from Porto a deal that you know didn't look like he was going to get over the line but they were able to uh, push it through in the past couple of days and then Ahmad Traore from Atlanta, who I believe is coming in January, I think. Um, so that, yes. that will not be an immediate impact. But, um, again, very notably for United fans, no Sancho. They gave Cavani the number seven number, uh, which was... Uh... Which is such a wild decision. <laughs> yeah. Such a wild decision. And I, I can't wait to get Cole's thoughts on that because right. I'm sure he's going to have something to say. Right. Um, they... Ahmad Traore, I think, is the most interesting one to me because he's very highly rated, I believe, as a youth prospect up there. I mean, basically second to Ansu Fati in terms of players who have extremely high expectations for two or three years from now. What are they going to look like? Um, played, I think, 35 minutes in Serie A last year and got a goal. So that's a pretty impressive conversion, conversion rate um, when you're... 16 or whatever however old he is mm-hmm. um but yeah obviously you're going to be disappointed when you were promised sort of the hollywood signing of Jaden sancho and ultimately nothing went through you know it looked like for the longest time dortmund was just bluffing to pull the price up on sancho but they're content to hold him until they make their money right and more power to him milk ed woodward for all he's worth exactly exactly um so that was actually a very, very uh, interesting new-look United team when we see them back after the international break. Um, just a bit of Spurs news to touch on. Uh, they closed the window having made six signings, of course, with Joe Hart, uh, Regulon, Bale, Doherty, Hoiberg, and then um, Carlos Vinicius. Uh, there was, of course, the talks about maybe signing Milton, uh, sorry, Milan Schreiner. Um, that did not end up going through with Milan. Um, and there was they were linked also with Antonio Rudiger, which no one really wanted uh, to, to kind of <laughs> sign him on, seeing how he had played at Chelsea. So that didn't work out. But um, interesting little caveat that the domestic window is still open until October 16th. So teams still mm-hmm. in the English pyramid. So there's been some talk around uh, Welsh defender Joe Rodon. Roden. Um, Roden. Roden. Yeah, like Joe Rogan, but Joe- the B. <laughs> Okay, yeah. um, <laughs> and so that will be interesting to keep an eye on. Uh, they're miles apart at the moment, Spurs and Swansea in valuation. So, um, but I've heard very good things about him, and so hoping that uh, we can get that deal uh, over the line here in the next couple of days. Yeah, I know Roden is very highly rated by the folks over at TIFO. Um, every podcast that I listen to, uh, before the season started about sensible transfers seemed to mention Roden as this is like, this is the guy, this, this guy and, um, and Ben white 
are like the two center backs that you should sign if you want like a young promising center back who can who can play the ball relatively well who was stout in defense. Roden is that guy. I think Spurs would be more than happy to have him. Goodness knows that Eric Dyer probably <laughs> shouldn't be a starting center back. Um, yeah. And that's not to say that Roden is necessarily like a Europa League quality starting center back, but he is good and he will develop. And hopefully Mourinho doesn't break him in half. Um, but I do think he'd flourish at Spurs. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that would be... That would be massive. And I think we can just close with some notable exits. You mentioned Matteo Guendouzi departed to Hertha Berlin on loan. Um, Felipe Anderson to Porto. What a flop of a signing for West Ham. He, he really, aside from a few spark moments, Gosh. I think what was it, two years ago, Yeah. Um, he's really done nothing. And then Gerard Delefeu to Udinese, which I did not see coming. Now, Watford obviously are not in the Premier League, um, and I think they probably cut ties with Delefeo because of wage concerns and the like. I what a, what a weird career for that guy. A truly. I mean, very truly. Barcelona didn't quite make it there. Lone, he was at Everton, Watford. I mean, he showed so much promise. And, I, I just, and he's like 26. Yeah, I, I just feel like he never found his right spot. It was always either he just couldn't make it in the Barcelona team or, you know, I mean, frankly, looked too good for Watford and Everton. But but even in those periods, he wasn't, wasn't kind of boosting the team up and it didn't really kind of spread. So weird career, like you said, yeah. but glad to see that he's going to try and get a new start. Yeah, I think a change of scenery will be good for him, especially considering just, I mean... Who wants to be a, who wants who wants to go from like Barcelona to like the championship? Nobody wants that. Right. So, Udinese gives him gives him a fresh fresh start. Hope the best for him. Uh, he he was an exciting player, like you said, at times with Watford. Um, and who knows? A, a Premier League return certainly isn't out of the question. He's proven he can do it here before. I think that about wraps it up. Again, we're trying to—I'm trying to keep it a little bit short because we'll be getting Cole on tomorrow to talk specifically Manchester United. Uh, well, you'll hear his thoughts. I don't think he's been on in like a year, so it should be good to have him back. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, so I will—I will say goodbye to you, sir. I will say hello to Cole. Um, I'm gonna cut it here, and we will see the audience on the other side. Choose. <laughs> Choose. Okay, and we are back, as promised, this time with Cole, to talk a little bit of Manchester United on the heels of not the greatest weekend in club history. Yeah. Um, could have been worse. I think we, we'd be talking about this a little bit differently were it not for Liverpool going and, like, an hour later, totally dropping the ball against a much worse team in Aston Villa. Um Talk to me, I guess, about you now. You were you were at work when a lot of this was unfolding. Yeah. Um, but talk to me about how you were feeling, sort of watching the score updates roll in on the United game, not really being able to actually watch the game. Uh, it was pretty painful. I think <laughs> that I don't know because like the last time we lost this bad was against Manchester City, like almost a decade ago. So to to see us be the worst that we've been in a decade was definitely not cool and I mean at least that was to a good Manchester City team I feel like 
Tottenham, however efficient they've been in this window, have been they're still kind of a middling team. You know, they aren't going to challenge for this title, I don't think. And yeah, just to see us kind of soullessly fight uh, against a mediocre team, or I guess you know a top five team, but still, it's they aren't title contenders, like I said. So. Yeah, I just, I don't see how, I, I just don't know how this could have happened. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of Manchester United fans talk about how passion is something that's lacking. I think that's true, but I don't think that's the biggest problem. Okay. I just think that, yeah, I obviously it's no secret that our recruitment has been horrible, so I just think that there's really just too much going on at this club right now that that is wrong I would say more things are going wrong than things that are going right and I think that that is why we are just stuck in this perpetual cycle of have an awful season have a decent season where we finish fourth and then have a lot of hope and then have all of that hope crushed with an awful (laughs) transfer window and then we have another bad season where we finish fifth or sixth so yeah, it's just a bad situation all around. And, you know, obviously this is a game where the score was 2-1 when there were 11 men on the field for both teams. Yeah, Martial gets sent off for exchanging some contact with Eric Lamella. I'm yeah. curious, you know, because some, pe- yeah, some people said it could have gone either way. Uh, even Connor admitted as much as, you know, Lamella probably could have gotten a yellow card for instigating. And then maybe we don't see Martial sent off. Solskjaer made the same remarks. I think that you can't, uh, especially now with VAR, you just have to be so much more careful. You can't, you just, you can never touch another player's face. Mm -hmm. You just, as much as I love Martial, I don't think he should have fallen to that. I mean, yes, Lomella absolutely should have gotten some kind of punishment for that whether that be a yellow I don't see them giving a red for that but I think that um, yeah Martial was I mean definitely not thinking clearly when he did that but you just you you can never get away with doing that especially in the VAR era but as Mm -hmm. to what you were saying about being 2-1 down when we had 11 men on the field um, I mean then having 10 men for the rest of the game I mean I mean, that's really no excuse. I mean, yes, you can concede, you know, excuse me, another few goals, but I just don't think that that's even, yeah, really an excuse. I mean, we've been 10 men, down to 10 men before, and we've still come back and won games. That's Mm -hmm. not the most unrealistic thing, but, I mean, I think we could have at least managed to draw if we had a little bit of fight in us, but we didn't. So, for you, I mean... Speaking currently specifically about this game, do you think it's in in the tactics? Do you think it's in the players? Um, obviously, Maguire had sort of a nightmare game. Luke Shaw had what seems like a, just an addition to a resume full of nightmare games. Yeah. Um, not to Haya's best day either. Do you think more of this falls on the players, or more of this falls on sort of Solskjaer and management? Yeah. Well, I think just to answer a few things there with a retort, I think yeah, Maguire's been poor this entire season so I think he needs to get benched um, in some capacity over 
you know, at least, I mean, at least the next game. I know that our options in defense are limited, <laughs> but I mean, I I could live with seeing a Lindelof by partnership in the next game. I just I know there's a lot of politics that go on. You know, when you spend 80 million pounds on a defender, it's hard to, or however, I don't know the conversion rate, but something like that. Um, on a defender, you know, he's supposed to play every game, or close to every game. So I understand that there's that aspect to it. But, yeah, he needs to get benched. Shaw, hope, I mean, hopefully he'll start to play well again. Because there'll be these stretches where Shaw... I mean, isn't the best left back in the league, but he's serviceable. I mean, we do need something more than serviceable right now, but, I mean, bordering on really good. And then he'll go through these stretches of games that are twice as long as the stretch of games where he's good, where he's (laughs) worse than serviceable, bordering on really, really awful. So I think that, um, yeah, so there's that. And then with Tellez coming in, hopefully that'll change. But yeah, the question was the the tactics versus, um, was it the players? I don't think it's the tactics. Um, Like you look at some of the things that are, I mean, because the main problem is our defense. We have, when they're firing, we have the best attack in the league, Mm -hmm. um, no doubt in my opinion. But um, the defenders are the main issue and the the defending is the main issue and I don't think it's the tactics because you look at the decisions they're making and it's all just I mean you think about is Ole telling them to do this stuff or is he is this just things that the defenders are doing and like they're going super narrow and just leaving huge space out wide and I don't think that's a, a tactical thing I you know there's no one pressing out to uh, get to the wingers and fullbacks out wide, so I don't think that it's tactical. I think it's just, I mean, some degree of ineptitude and hmm. uh, lack of fitness, and I just, I just think that yeah, there's something wrong with like the way that the defenders are going about their job. Like this is their job, and they're just doing it so poorly. So I don't think it's the tactics. Okay. I think all I has at least given himself a little bit of leeway I mean he's won some big games for us we won three mm-hmm. games against Manchester City and people are I mean stupid people but people are calling <laughs> people say that Guardiola is the best manager ever so I mean if that's how you think and even if you think he's like a top five manager of all time which he like indisputably is the fact that all he has you know at least a decent record against him and he won however many games, I think three, against Chelsea last season. Um, you know, ultimately what got us last year is our failure to pick up points against smaller clubs. So I think that, again, it just kind of comes down to recruitment. If he had rotation and if he had players that he could really rely on, like a full 11, because even our best 11 has, I'd say, two or three players that really don't deserve to be starting and that are just kind like of champions league quality yeah then they're they're shaky at best so i think that if you gave him that financial backing that he needs i think we'd be seeing a serious uptick in getting points off smaller clubs continuing to fight against big clubs and that by no means means that we are the 
full package yet as in terms of title contenders but i think that yeah it's really just down to if you look at it like that if you look at it like who we're dropping points against and where our shortcomings are as a team it's because of this it all comes back to poor ownership poor management the board and Ed Woodward just doing a horrible job of negotiating <laughs> and delegating funds to the right things. So. Yeah, and I want to jump in there because you're talking about something that I do want to get to. Connor and I just finished talking about deadline deadline day stuff, and United made signings. You know, uh, they made some acquisitions in the last 48 hours that were interesting, and I don't yeah. think necessarily address some of the positions that you'd like them to address. Now, obviously. You bring in Alex Tellis uh, for under $20 million. That's a That's a great signing. You just talked about how Luke Shaw has just a crazy consistency problem, and Tellis, certainly a better player than him outright. Um, the other two signings, though, Edinson Cavani, um, 33 years old, Uruguayan, obviously well-known for both his international heroics and his club tenure, mm-hmm. um, but over the hill. And then Ahmad Traore from Atalanta, no Sancho, no Dembele, which I know you were happy about no Dembele. Uh, I mean, yeah, kind of, but continue. Okay. Cavani gets the number seven shirt. Didn't like that. Didn't like that. <laughs> um, and so I'm, I'm just curious for you. You know, I talked to some Manchester United fans, and, and the feeling is that we can't just keep spending money. We can't just keep, like, buying a quality, a quality 11, you know? Yeah. And... I'm curious how much you agree with that because you did just say we need to spend money we need to get players Um, what sort of what is the line for you because it seems like lately youth prospects have maybe not been working out the same way you know we're how many months removed from Angel Gomez just being released yeah Um, yeah well first of all talking about the last 24 hours it was I mean, it was good to see that at least we have more coming in than Donny van de Beek. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, a lot of these just reek of a panic buy. And I just think that, um, first of all, I mean, so van de Beek has already proven himself to be, you know, a, <clears throat> excuse me, a solid player. It's just we signed the position that we have the most of, which is... Um, or, Maybe not the most of, but it's a packed midfield at the moment, and I don't. Yeah, it's tough for him to break in with Bruno and Pogba, um, and then I mean I'm a big Fred guy, so I think that he's solid, and I think Matic is solid, but Van de Beek wouldn't work well as a holding midfielder. So I'm I'm happy with him, and it continues the kind of um, progression of. Ole signing, I think, only quality players, which, again, I think points to him being a good manager because I don't think there's been... I think his worst signing has been Igalo, and he just kind of signed him because he was in a pinch, and he kind of did what he needed for us last season. We re-signed him, uh, brought him back on loan because we still need him because the recruitment has been so poor, and Daniel (laughs) James is the only other guy that hasn't really worked out very well but mm-hmm. i think i mean he's young i think he's 20 right now so i think 20 or 21 yeah yeah i think that he's i mean given time he, he's never going to be a starter but he'll be a good rotation player and he's quick and he's 
if he works on his crossing and finishing, I think he'll be a nice little player to have on the bench. But um, what you're saying about the young players with um, uh, Angel Gomez just got released. I wasn't happy about that. I think he's quality. Um, hopefully he can work out in the future. I don't think that the issue is our academy. I think our academy continues to churn out um, really, really good players. I mean... We've got another group of players that are looking really good. We just sent a few out on loan. Um, one to Watford, James Garner. Um, mm-hmm. He's quality. He played really well a couple weeks ago. Um, and then who else do we have? I don't know, but we got a lot of people coming up through the academy. I think that the biggest frustration in the transfer window, though, was I mean not getting Sancho and just the repetition that we don't have – we have the money, to, but we don't want to spend it. But mm-hmm. then we end up, uh, like, we, we put in a bid for, like, 90 million pounds when they're asking for 120 million pounds, or 109 million pounds. And then we go and spend, like, money that we said we didn't have on mm-hmm. players that aren't as good as Jaden Sancho. So I just, I'm not really sure I follow that train of thought. And then, I don't know, I, it's always nice to see a player like Cavani come in and you hope that he's more of a Ibrahimovic than he is a Falcao. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, we're, I mean, it was encouraging to see us sign more, uh, kind of signing younger players because we signed that Uruguayan whose name I have to look up, uh, Fasundo Palestri. Um, like you always hope with players like that, that they can turn out to be, you know, at least solid um and it's better than signing washed up players like we kind of fell into the habit of doing um a few years ago um but yeah it's just the recruitment's all over the place and i just very frustrating but you said dembele i think i kind of came around on him as long as it wasn't um you know a permanent deal i would take him on loan for a year and then hopefully Sancho still wants to join United next year. And like the likes of Liverpool and uh, City and Chelsea still aren't interested in him, which I don't see as being a realistic thing. But hopefully we can beat them to Sancho. And maybe, I mean, even January would be nice, but I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, and we've been mostly talking about this this Tottenham game because obviously it's the it's the most newsworthy of any of United's recent things. But, hmm. I mean, we're talking about a team that's that's sitting at a pretty dire spot in the table right now. They're, they're 16th mm-hmm. with a negative six goal diff, which obviously is, I mean, so much of that is influenced by the recent result. That's not necessarily right. emblematic of a team that's been that poor all year. But you talk about the only win you've got this year is against Brighton, mm-hmm. which was, you know, Controversial. Controversial, yeah, to say the least. Uh, 1-3 loss to Crystal Palace, and obviously this result against Tottenham, you only have three games in because your first game was postponed against Burnley. Mm-hmm. Um, how worried about you? Because this, how, how worried about this team are you? Because this was a team that I was pretty optimistic on. Uh, I thought that, like you talked about, the that's an offense that can hang with anybody. That's an attack that can hang with anybody. And, you know, let the defense fall where it may, but the offense will carry you through. And we've really not seen that up to this point. I would be less concerned about where our team is right now if I hadn't just seen 
like almost the same thing happen uh, two years ago in Mourinho's last season. And I just think that that it just feels like history repeating itself for what feels like the third cycle of the same thing. Because we, if you discount Moyes as a one-off, then it's Van Hall builds half of a team and has a has a decent season, then falls out of the Champions League and gets sacked. Then Mourinho comes in, builds half a team, has a good season, and then has a poor season and gets sacked halfway through. And now it's looking like the same thing is going to happen. I think the only way we break the cycle is if we stick with Ole for a little bit longer. And just, I mean, I don't know what they're expecting out of him, though, because you can't expect us, you can't expect him to do amazing with what he has right now. So I just think it's, it just feels like the same vicious cycle. But I'm not super concerned yet because I think it's still too early to say what, um, what the season's going to be. You just hope that we can make a couple good cup runs. I think that if we target like a league cup or an FA cup again, um, at the, at the least, if we, you know, make it a priority to at least win some silverware, I think that would be an improvement. I think that three semifinals last year was good, but I mean, just falling short three or yeah, three semifinals, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. City in the League Cup. That was the only one I wasn't sure about. Um, um, but you just want to build on that success. But again, then it's hard to build on success because you didn't make the signings to build. It's just mm-hmm. it keeps on coming back and back and back. So I think that um, it's too early to say. I think that if we can somehow, if we were to somehow make it to the round of 16 in the Champions League, that would be nice. But it looks like we have maybe the hardest group because um, we have Leipzig and PSG, and I forgot the last team. But um, to have two of the last four teams from last year in your group is... Istanbul, Basakshir. Okay, all right. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> There's one... got to be a walkover team in every Yeah, in yeah every one team that everyone can beat up on, hopefully. But, I mean, the way we're playing right now, we're looking at, like, two nil-nil draws against them. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I just think that it's too early, and Manchester United's fan base is kind of at this point has become notorious for just knee-jerk reactions to anything. Um, I mean, I guess it's it's important to get a reaction after a 6-1 loss, but it's it's still too early in the season to call it a lost season, mm-hmm. but it still seems way too... It seems like we're way far, like far off from where we need to be, mm-hmm. which is, again, at least repeating top four, but I just don't see... With Liverpool, the team they are right now and the depth they have, I know they lost 7-2 last week, but it's not like they're going to allow that to happen and become normal by any means, Mm -hmm. obviously. But um, you expect them to bounce back. Manchester City, again, with the depth they have and the kind of culture that they've built, you don't expect them to have a a down season by any means. Tottenham has... Though, Though City's had a slow start. You know, draws to leads, getting massacred five. I mean, somebody hung five goals on him a week ago. So I mean, yeah, but I mean, you just don't see. I don't. I mean, I just feel like you trust Guardiola and his um, experience and the team that he's built enough to where they can 
probably finish top two. I don't. Mm-hmm. I still don't see that top two yeah, changing whichever order they finish in. Tottenham have gotten much stronger than I thought because it kind of exploded in September mm-hmm. to make all those signings. It kind of seemed like every day came with a new Tottenham signing. Chelsea, nothing needs to be said about their window. <laughs> I mean, they improved massively. And then Arsenal, um, as much as I hate to see it, it kind of seems like they're starting to finally figure out how to run a club a little <laughs> bit. I mean, a little bit. It seems like Arteta over there has, it seems like they've kind of trusted him with a certain amount of control and given him money that they haven't given Emery and Wenger towards the end of his tenure. But, um, yeah, it just, it just seems like we are the worst of the big six and then on top of that wolves are always a tough team especially against us it seems like um we're just constantly being disappointed against them and everton look like they're maybe even top four Leicester. top of the league right now so i mean we might even be looking at like an arsenal-esque season where we're finishing like closer to 10th than we are to first yeah. and that is a little bit scary but i just don't i don't I'm not full of optimism, but I'm not going to sit here and say that we're going to have the worst season ever. I think it's we just need a good run of games to kind of get things under control. I think the lack of preseason has been evident. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think that we need to trust the process a little bit. And if things do get a lot worse, I, I don't want us to fire Ole, but if we have to, I think that there's good options out there. In the Who would life. be your first choice? Are you a Poch guy? Uh, I like Pochettino, but I think that... I don't know. I don't want to get ahead of myself because I don't want Ole to be fired. (laughs) Um, One last thing about United. How concerned are you that Pogba and Bruno, to some extent, might not be, like, compatible players? Um, That they're both sort of that that 8-10 combo combo player. Yeah. Uh, It's... You can, you can see why that would be a problem on paper. I think that at the end of last season, I mean, I, I just think that at the end of last season, after the coronavirus shutdown, I just think that that is the that style of football and that that um, manner of like the way we played, the way we held ourselves, the way we. Um, attacked more than anything else i think that's the standard that we should be looking for and then some um so i think if you look at that that period of time in which we went on that unbeaten run and we had both bruno and pogba healthy um i think that they can play together i think it's a little bit unfortunate that um Pogba's kind of getting shunted backwards a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and I don't like that. I kind of wish we played a little. I, I wish we played a four-three-three more often instead of all like constantly going with the four-two-three-one. Um, because again, I just feel like that leaves Pogba behind a little bit, and while he can ping in those uh, diagonal passes to the fullbacks, I just I wish I saw him a little bit more. Because then when Ole was trying to rotate a little bit more and he would sub off Bruno at maybe the 70th, 75th minute and then push up Pogba and bring in either a Fred or a McTominay um, alongside Matic, I think that that... Because they both play that position so mm-hmm. well, so I think if, it, if we could somehow 
have the you know have Matic drop between the center backs somehow. Almost have like an advanced four three three where you have yeah. two two cams and are and Matic yeah. recess. I would like to at least see. I mean, it doesn't have to be the way we mm-hmm. play, but I think it would be at least nice if we experimented a little bit because yeah. I feel like Ole's kind of finished playing with the side. He's just decided that the only way to plays with this 4-2-3-1 to get the most out of his players but at the same time you don't feel like he can do anything else because he only has this one set of players that he trusts completely and again that be, that comes back to the recruitment that mm-hmm. is just so poor every problem we have it seems comes back to just the poor way that we've been run so okay yeah. um let's check the time here because i don't want to add too much on to what, what connor and i have already recorded but I guess we'll we'll start to close here with we're three weeks in. They haven't been three of the best weeks, but mm-hmm. where if if I asked you to predict table position on this club end of the year, um, however much of an optimist I am in wanting to say top four and that we can bounce back, and there's no question that part of what is the problem with like the way we're playing at the moment is just form like we're just out of form and we're maybe not in the best shape and I'm sure a lot of players are tired from the late how late the season went and then limited time to recover and no preseason so I'm sure once we get our legs under us a little bit I'm sure that we can at least get back to playing decent um but the realist in me wants to say that I think that history is just going to repeat itself and that we're going to finish probably optimistically let me think here so i think liverpool and city top two chelsea guaranteed not guaranteed but i think that they're almost a lock for top four so it's pretty much just fourth is up third and fourth are up for grabs whichever one chelsea doesn't finish in so then you have to look at tottenham and arsenal i don't think arsenal are quite there yet i think we can still finish above arsenal which means we're top seven but behind Tottenham, maybe. So I'm saying fifth or sixth. Okay. And depending, it could get worse depending on if Everton can <laughs> continue Stick this. Stick with it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you for coming on. Uh, yeah. We'll have to I'll have to check back in with you in a few weeks, see if things have turned around. Mm. Um, but that will be all. Anything that you want to say before we close? Um, Glazers out, Woodward out. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right. That's all we got. See ya.